I had it up on my computer on my desk, and he comes back there to my desk, and he looks a little bit, and he says, uh, Dad, are you going to talk about that again today? <laughs> um, so, I guess we are in some ways, and, and also... Uh, Interestingly enough, as all of you probably are aware, by now looking at the bulletin, we have the Sunday School lesson was on the passage that I am using for the message. I don't know, that's never happened to me before, I don't know if that has ever happened to any of the pastors before or not, but, um, so, maybe I just need to sit down again and we can go home, but I do feel that God has given me a message to share, and I want to do that. Um, so far, we have, we've been looking at Hebrews and, and looking at running the race that God has set before us. And we see now that the writer has, has used a race as an analogy of life, and that... This, this race is more like a marathon than a, than a sprint. It is something that we enter into when we become born again, and we are in that race until God calls us home. And how many of you remember Cliff Young, the older man that ran the marathon in, in, uh, in Australia? Over 540-some miles, he ran that in five days without stopping to sleep. And I had used that as an example of, of endurance and how that this, this race that this, the Hebrew writer is talking about here is, is it's not a sprint. It's a marathon, and we're in it. It, it will take endurance. Last message I talked about, finding our own race and just shared some principles on how to find God's direction in life for, for ourselves. And so this morning as we, as we start, one of the things that I would like for all of us to have a clear picture of or a clear understanding is that, is that life is, is a race or it is a marathon or rather that race is an analogy that the writer here uses to describe a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that relationship with Jesus Christ is not something that just happens when we become born again and then that is it. Any of us that have been married or have children or all of us are children and we have parents and there's people that we relate with, and we understand that relationships take effort on both parties. And so this relationship, this race that we're in, is not just something that we passively receive when we become Christians or something that will just automatically take place. It takes an effort on our part to maintain that connection with Jesus Christ. I'd like to start with uh, reading our scripture again, Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. It 
Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. And the particular passage that I would like to hone in on this morning is found in verse 1, where he says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now, I would be interested in knowing how many of you this morning in your Sunday school class, how many of you discussed whether the weight and the sin are the same thing or whether they're two different things? I would see a raise of hands who, who, did, who discussed that. I would like to speak about that this morning. And I'm going to propose that they are two different things. I used to read this, and I would see it as one. I thought, well, obviously, if you are burdened with sin, if there's sin in your life, that is a weight that you are carrying. And while that is true, if you're living in sin, if you are, or maybe if you're not even born again, then there is a weight on you that you are carrying. <clears throat> However, I do believe that it is also possible that there are things in our lives that become a weight or something that hinders us from running the race the best that we can. There are things that hinder us that are not necessarily sin, but they do not give themselves to winning the race. And so that's particularly what I would like to speak about this morning is what, what was the writer thinking about? What, what, was he, what did he consider to be a weight, and how does that apply to us today? How do we determine what is a weight in our lives today that we need to get off so that we can run to win? <clears throat> to begin with, I'd like to look at the Greek just a little bit. In... The word that was used for weight, and then also the words that were used for lay aside. The Greek word that was used to, that describes that is weight, is the word onkos. And it has the idea of a, a mass or a, a bending or a bulging of, of like a, a basket or something that is bulging and almost breaking. Or a load that is so heavy that is almost breaking down whatever it is, whatever the load is upon. So if the load is, is you know, a wagon that's, you know, the tires are squatting and, and you're almost breaking down that wagon. It's a, it's a hindrance. It's a weight. Burden. It's an impediment. Handicap. Or a deterrent. It's an encumbrance or an obstacle, something that keeps us from running as fast as we could. 
And I had to think of this um, when I thought about Court and Wes out hiking on the AT. Um, ben and Bronson, you would know about that, you know, the, the, that 40-pound pack or whatever you're, you're lugging. Um, you're not going to run, I doubt, very well with that pack on. Is that right? It, it doesn't lend itself well to, to running fast. Jason, would you mind pulling that last curtain back there or somebody back there? <clears throat> the Greek words for lay aside, there were actually two words, like a compound that were combined to make one word, a compound Greek word, apotathemea. I'm not sure I said that right, but it means to put away or to literally cast off, to lay aside, or to put down. And the, the idea, the thought is that we intentionally choose to remove something. It's not something that has happened automatically, or it is not something that just because we have now become a Christian and become born again, that old habit or whatever, doesn't automatically go away. So I'd like to, as we think about laying off the weight that hinders us, the first thing that we need to understand is that this is an intentional decision that we make that because of what Jesus has done for us, we will let go of this, whatever it is, so that we can run faster. And so I'd like for us to recognize that we are in a race and that we are, we are this relational um, relationship that we are in is... We're using the analogy of a race this morning. And that we are running against the, against the flow. I'm going to... Move my notes around just a little bit. Stephen Brubaker, many of you know, was here last week at Sandy Ridge. And if you weren't there, you should have been. But he, he in his presentation, Anabaptism as a Worldview, he identified three major ideas or lines of thought that make up the culture that we live in, and he likened the culture that we live in as a tsunami. And he spoke a little bit about the power of a tsunami that we saw, uh, we, we witnessed that uh, a number of years ago over in, uh, in Eastern Asia, in the, in the Pacific there, and, and how that, that water that comes up on land is, is a, it's, it's a tremendously powerful force. In fact, I didn't write this down. I hadn't thought about it till now. But the, the bombs of all the bombs of World War II, plus the two nuclear bombs that were dropped, 
you combine all that power and it was still only a fraction, right? It was, I forget, they, he had the numbers for that, but it was interesting. So that tsunami is, is a powerful force. And so he used that as an analogy that the culture that we live in is as a tsunami towards us. There are three major ideas or lines of thought that, that make up the culture that we live in. And so I'd like to, first of all, as we, as we think of a race, this is a, a shot of the Boston Marathon that was ran just a few weeks ago. And we are, at this angle, running in the opposite direction. That's where we're at today. The culture is, is coming against us, and we're running the opposite direction. And skip ahead here just a little bit. There are three, three ideas that Stephen Brubaker presented that um, make up this culture. The first one is naturalism, a system of thought that rejects all spiritual or supernatural explanations of the world. And it holds that science is the sole basis of what can be known. There, it, it denies that there is any spiritual world out there and that the only thing that is, is what is. The only thing that is, is what is. Whatever you can see, whatever you can prove by science. Second one is relativism. It's the belief that concepts such as right and wrong, good and bad, or truth and false, truth and falsehood, are not absolute, but change from culture to culture and situation to situation. So it's the idea that while it may be true for you, it is not true for me. Of course, the question is, is that a true statement? <laughs> but that is, that is a, that's the, a, an ideology that we face in our culture today, is that there is no absolute truth the second one or third one and where I'd like to get at today is individualism our culture is is tremendously individualistic and this is simply the belief that society exists for the benefit of the individual who must not be constrained by government interventions or made subordinate to collective interests so my wants, desires, passions, whatever, transcend that of the community or whoever I am surrounded with. It's very selfish. And so, for the message this morning, I would like to propose that especially the last two are one of the reasons that we read this scripture and we see that we, we read about the sin and we tend to see them as, as at face value. We, if we just read through that without studying, we see that the weight and the sin as one. Especially, especially the last one. Because if we read it as just simply being a sin, the weight is speaking about the weight of sin, then we can reduce it to something that's black and white, 
and we we take away from having to to voluntarily value someone else's opinion or their their contribution into community the culture we live in has a huge influence on this and and we just simply from the the way our our culture's set up just the cars we drive the technology we have and and everything the consumer driven culture it's all designed about making my life the individual easier it does not give itself well to community and just i i just just reminded of this again um the last couple weeks my boys have been watching some of the uh, uh little house on the prairie uh movies and and as I saw those, the way those people worked together, they had no option. I mean, you either, you had to work with your community or you might not make it. You might not have enough whatever to live through the winter. And that has changed today in our society. That has changed. Um, one example just of the, of the influence that we are under is... How many of you recognize this? Burger King. Have it your way. What are they saying? It's about who? Me. Me. Now, did you know that they just changed that in the last two years? And I, I don't have it on the PowerPoint, but it now reads, Be your way. And here's what they say. This is the statement that they made. Burger King says in a statement that the new tagline is intended to remind people that, and here we are, quote, they can and should live how they want anytime. It's okay not to be perfect. Self-expression is most important, and it's our differences that make us individuals and not robots. So that's the influence that we're under. And that's Burger King. I mean, who thinks of Burger King as being a big influencer of our communities? <laughs> Not really. Not really. So it's this very tsunami, tsunami of cultural influence that is, that is influencing us in, in how we read our scriptures. So, rather than voluntarily, we, we read this scripture as, as we'd like to keep it black and white and simple so that it removes any responsibility from me of having to think about my brother. One of the things that I'd like to talk about a little bit is, is the context of that scripture. Not, it's a little difficult for us to know exactly what he had in mind when he 
wrote about the weight and the sin. Um, but in the context of the, of the book of Hebrews, one of the weights or the things that would, be an, would have been an impediment for them was that they were Jews that had grown up with the Jewish tradition, Jewish religion, and so their tendency would have been to fall back to that tradition, which if that would continue in its all the way, it would end up becoming the sin of unbelief. And so this morning, as we look at what is the weight for us, I'd like to I'd like to remember that while something might not be a sin today, it could be a weight or something that is hindering us. If we don't recognize that weight, it could eventually become a sin in our lives and trip us up and fall us. Okay. going to back up a little bit. I'd like to look at what Paul wrote, and I'd like to look at this, I'd like to consider this scripture in the context of, of the New Testament, and to, to get some direction on, on things that might be a weight for us. One of the things that is unique about this race is that it is not a race that I win at the expense of everyone else. Unlike a race, a sprint or a marathon where there is one winner. Um, so I'd like to look at 1 Corinthians 9 to 23. For though I am free... From all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more, meaning win, convert more people. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law to those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. <clears throat> To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that by all means, that I might by all means save some. <clears throat> now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. So the race that we're running is a it is a we run it together. I cannot, if I isolate myself from the rest of you, I cannot continue to run the race and expect to finish well. Even though Paul says in this passage that he is free from all men. He is not indebted or legalistically bound in any way to all men. But what we see is that he has voluntarily given himself, 
He says he has made himself, what, whether he's with the Jews, when he's with the Jews, he tries to, the best he can, make sure, what I see in that scripture, he's making sure that he's not being an offense to them. He's not using, he's not flaunting his freedom. And then to the Gentiles, the same way. He's making sure that he's not being an offense to them. And notice what Paul says when we keep reading in that chapter. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus. Not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest, when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul has just said that he is free from all men. But he's saying here that he, he disciplines himself voluntarily so that he doesn't become disqualified. So there's, there's two things in this passage. Paul considers it his responsibility or a part of his race to make sure that the people he comes into contact with are encouraged to win the race. He recognizes that he's not running this to win at the expense of someone else or maybe even just at the ignorance of who else is out there. No. A part of his intentional strategy to win the race is making sure that the people that he comes into contact with are also encouraged to win their race. Second thing is, Paul is disciplined. I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. He's very intentional about what he's doing or what he's not doing. So for the rest of the message, I would like to build off the premise that the race is not something that we can win alone. The race is something that we win together. I love a quote that this comes from Stephen Brubaker had this, and uh, it is a quote from a... Psychologist Peter Berger. Peter is speaking about the importance of community and he states the following Unless our theologians, unless our theologians has the inner fortitude of a desert saint, so the theologian he's speaking about would be ourselves. We have accepted a a position or a line of thought, he has only one effective remedy against the threat of cognitive collapse in the face of these pressures. So he's speaking about the value of community in a countercultural um, society. Exactly what we're talking about this morning. We, we live in a society that is counterculture. Our values. Our ideas are at, are at odds with mainstream ideas and values. 
Therefore, we find ourselves facing that tsunami of, of counter values and ideas. So if we're doing that, unless we have the inner fortitude of a desert saint, unless we have that, there is only one effective remedy. He must huddle together with like-minded fellow deviants and huddle very closely indeed. Now, a deviant is somebody that has, has intentionally chosen to step away from an accepted belief or an idea. They have deviated from mainstream whatever, mainstream culture in our case. He goes on to say, only in a counter-community of considerable strength does cognitive deviance have a chance to maintain itself. I should explain cognitive is a, is a conscious choice that we have made of a, a, mental, a mental position, if you will. So it's only in a counter-community. The counter-community provides continuing therapy against the creeping doubt as to whether, after all, one may not be wrong and the majority right. To fulfill its function of providing social support for the deviant body of knowledge, the counter-community must provide a strong sense of solidarity among its members. So, it's, it's only by, if, if we're running this race, and we, we were, remember the picture of the, the Boston Marathon, and we're, we're going into this tsunami. If we go it ourselves, we aren't going to get very far at all until pretty soon we're going to be going back the other way. It's only when we stay together that we have a chance of winning the race together. I'd like to uh, give us six practical steps to identifying weights that might drag us down. The first one is simply, as we live our lives in this relationship that we're, we're this race that we're in, if there are things that we are doing or not doing, the simple question is, is it profitable for winning? You know, so often we ask ourselves a question, we, we, think, in, so we, we think in terms of black and white. We'd like to know, as we read this passage, you know, we, we see the sin, we'd like to know, well, is this action sin or is it not sin? If it's not sin, then I can do it. First Corinthians six twelve. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. This is Paul writing in Corinthians, and he's speaking about um, things that have been offered to idols and and the liberty that he has, and he says that you know these things. There's, it's not sin for him to do these things. 
but they are not necessarily helpful for him to win the race. If they're not necessarily helpful for him to race, he doesn't do them. And there's a lot of things like that in our lives today. In fact, I would propose that there might be more things today with all the, in, in our culture, than there were in Paul's day. But just simple things like, you know, if, if you're, this is an example, you know, if you're training for the Boston Marathon, then you might need to quit having three Mountain Dews a day. It just doesn't lend itself well to being able to win that race. And there's things like that in our spiritual life. They're not wrong. They're not sin. But they don't lend themselves well to winning the race. Second thing, will it bring me into bondage? Is it, a, is it something that would take me a step closer or to tripping me up and causing me to sin? Or is it something that will have that will become that will be, have a hold on my life that is a, a habit that is hard to be broken? The second part of this verse, 1 Corinthians 6:12, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Paul's saying. These things in, in life, I will not be subject to them. They are subject to me. I don't have to do this or that, or I'm not going to allow uh, myself to believe that I simply have to always have my coffee every morning at 7 o'clock. Or you fill in the blank. By the way, I have my coffee at 6. <laughs> <laughs> but there's all kinds of things there's all kinds of good things that could become a hold in our life you know even even ministry um, you know if that if I become so busy doing ministry that I neglect my wife and children then all of a sudden that thing has a power over me. Or maybe it's work. Or maybe it's, uh, you know, again, fill in the blank. Maybe it's sports. Or maybe it's, could be, could be lots of things. <clears throat> Will it cause others to stumble? Again, Paul is speaking to the Corinthian people about how we use this liberty. He says in chapter 8, verse 9, But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. Now remember what he said about what, how he relates to the Jews and the Gentiles, the unbelievers. He he relates to them, he tries to relate to them in a way that is not offensive to them. And so, again, we need to see, the, the only way we can know, we need to, I, I cannot tell you what those things might be in your life. 
But we need to seek God, and we need to remember that what Paul did is that when he was with the Jews, he, he sought to enable them and to help them to win the race. He also writes about that to the Romans. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. So if your brother, if, if your brother is grieved, then the who cares attitude that it's not his business, Paul's saying that that, that is wrong. Number four, will it weaken my faith? 1 Corinthians 10.23, Paul is again saying that all things are lawful for me, but they don't edify. They don't, they don't enhance, they don't give themselves well to growing him as a person. Edify in the Greek has the idea of constructing or building up or confirming. It's, it's like building muscle to, to win the race. And if, if it doesn't do that, then even though it's not sin, it doesn't edify. We don't, we don't do it. Number five, will it keep others from entering the race? And here again in chapter 10, give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. So Paul's concern is that he lives his life in a way that it might, it might draw others to Christ. He's not seeking his own profit or his own pleasure, but he's seeking the profit of many, the other people. The way he lives his life, what guides and builds his values is what, what would enable him to save more people or to build up and edify those that he does that are saved. Number six, does it glorify God? Simple question to ask if we're faced with a choice is, well, is this, does it bring God glory or not? Paul says in verse 31 of chapter 10, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whether whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So, whatever you do, make sure that it glorifies God, that it's not a questionable action that you might be embarrassed to explain why some why you were doing this or, or you know, just glorify God. Runners in the Olympics carry a sense of national pride. If you one of the things that Olympians struggle with if they lose is the sense of letting down their country. They represent the country they run for, and if they win, they can come home a national hero. But if they lose, they have let down the their country. And it's the same way for us. We represent, we are called, Paul calls us ambassadors 
of the kingdom of God, and we should have a sense of we should have a sense of national pride of being a citizen of the kingdom of God, and so we that should guide and and, and direct our actions so that whoever we see will recognize that we that we we are grateful that we belong to the kingdom of God. <clears throat> In closing, I'd like to simply desire that we could recognize what we are up against and that we could huddle very closely and that we could lay off whatever does not promote good huddling. I trust that as we leave here, we can, we can uh, live our lives in a way that brings God glory. So, I will pray, and then Keith, I'll let you close. Father, thank you so much that you have been here with us. Thank you, Lord, that you love us, that you have provided a way, Lord, that we can have a relationship with you. Father, this morning I pray that as we leave here that our thoughts and our actions, our lives would be directed by, by actions that bring, that build community. I pray, Lord, that we could lay off those things that impede us or hinder us, that we could examine our lives and that if there are things that we are involved in or that things that do not enhance our relationship with you, that we could lay them off. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.